Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your love for us, that you love us just as we are and that we can be in a place that we can freely worship you today. Thank you for always guiding us home and directly towards you. Help us to seek your goodness and that we can just draw closer to you each and every day. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Um, I am just like so thankful that you guys allow me to come up here and just share my heart and my stories, and so I just greatly appreciate that. A couple months back, uh, my husband Eric and I were uh, invited to go on a trip to Cabo San Lucas with the radio station he works for, and I was psyched about it. Um, we have not traveled like this uh, since our honeymoon almost nine years ago when we have two little kids. So you could have probably put me in a Motel 6 in Plano, and I would have just been as excited, okay? So to not, you know, have to cut up anybody's food or help anybody to the bathroom, I was ready to go. So I took full advantage of unlimited buffets, um, unlimited desserts, and crazy afternoon drink specials like electric shock lemonade. So I was there. Um... You know, one day we decided to go with this group of ours on a snorkeling excursion to the Sea of Cortez. And uh, we got out to this area called Playa Santa Maria, and I believe that's exactly how the locals say it. And it was just like this beautiful bay area, and all these tourist boats were out there. And um, we all got our gear on, and I look incredibly flattering in snorkel gear, as you can see. I didn't want to show the bottom half. I didn't want to make anyone jealous, okay? So anyways, we got on the gear. We jumped in the water. We had about 45 minutes to an hour, and so we could um, explore the area, and then we could also go up to the beach area if you just wanted to sit down on the beach. And so after about 30 minutes, my friend and I decided to head up towards the beach, and I didn't think this would be a challenge, okay? I was just getting out of the water. I did have flippers on, but all of a sudden, I kind of like lost my balance. And instead of looking more like the Baywatch babe that I imagine myself to be, I look more like a beached whale just trying to get to shore. And so um, I kind of, I just, I really wish I had video of this moment because you know I would show it to you if I had it. It's like top tier America's Funniest Home Videos because we, I'm just like trying to get over these waves and I kept getting pushed back down. What I thought was sand was actually more like gravel. So every time the wave came up, it was just like a pound of gravel went right into my suit. It was really pleasant. And um, I finally made my way to shore and my friend who was with me was like, who seemed to make it just fine, by the way. Uh, she said, Danielle, are you okay? And I said, I'm good. I'm good, okay? And there's these two women that were walking along the beach that morning, and they came up to me, and they said, that was the funniest thing that we have seen while we've been in Mexico. <laughs> and I just turned to them, and I said, you're welcome. All right. So I eventually made my way back to the boat way more gracefully, and I am still retrieving gravel from that swimsuit today. Uh, you know, isn't it funny how we use the word good so often? It's just everywhere. We, when somebody asks how our day has been, we say, oh, I'm doing good. How we expect children to behave, honey, be good. Or for responding to a great meal, mm, that was so good. We use it so much that it almost becomes kind of like a mindless word. Um, and we really forget what the true meaning of that is. Over the past couple of weeks in this Hungry for More series, we have been going through uh, Second Peter in chapter 1. 
And this is the passage that we've been looking at. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that, yes, through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Right out of the gate, the author Peter says that God has given us everything we need to have a life that reflects him. And goodness describes him as first on the list. So what does that mean? The Old English describes good as good, all right? Isn't it interesting how it's spelled? I also like to think it as a Canadian version, good, all right? Uh, It means virtuous, desirable, valid, considerable. When we think of goodness and what the definition of it is, it's being kind to others. It's holding the the door open for somebody at Panera when they really need some help. It's uh, bringing a meal to a family that maybe has been sick for a while or they have a new baby. People can have good traits and they can do good deeds, but spiritual goodness is not in our character. Our goodness comes from God. Even people that have lived with Christ in their life, they know how to be good. Just look at the news when they um, interview somebody of some axe murderer, and they say, oh, well, what was this person like? And they're like, oh, my gosh, they were such a good person. We go on with our lives thinking, okay, well, I gave blood at the blood bank. I texted $10 to earthquake victims. And basically, I do good about all the time. We're good, right? Well, not according to Jesus, who said this. No one is good except God. Does this sound a little harsh to you? Our good isn't good enough. It doesn't sound like grace to me. It sounds a little harsh. Author Liz Curtisig, she puts it like this. Goodness is entirely possible, but not without God. Before we can embrace grace, we need to embrace sin. Not celebrate it or wallow in it, just own up to it. So we can accept the forgiveness we desperately need. In the book of Mark, there is a brief snapshot of an encounter between Jesus and a rich young ruler. And as Jesus was traveling around and preaching from town to town, this rich young ruler, he just got down on his knees in front of Jesus and he said to him this, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Jesus answers the young man's question with another, which is a little confusing because Jesus is saying only God is good, so what about the rest of us? Well, we can't do good on our own. It's he that empowers us with his goodness. He is the one who is truly perfect and can rightfully be called good. God willingly gives us his goodness and unconditionally and sacrificially for those of us that choose to accept it. Psalm 86.5 says, 
Oh, Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. So, if we get our Greek on, the author Peter in 2 uh, Peter uses the Greek word arati. And I went to YouTube school of Greek, okay? All right, arati, which means virtue. So when we choose to accept his gift to us, that virtue, it becomes a part of us. Peter is saying, as you mature in your walk, you're going to be adding these things to your plate. If we start with goodness or whatever virtue you want to start with, it begins to permeate through our lives how we think, how we speak, how we act, and how we love others. It's not an overnight success story. I know that, okay? It's a constant growing process of having a genuine desire to be more like him which is so challenging when we have situations, deadlines, frustrating people and conversations coming at us each and every day. And as a parent, I don't only have to think about myself, but I also have to think about our kids. Um, Like just the other day, our daughter Edie, who just finished kindergarten, told me that somebody told her a certain choice word and the hand sign that accompanies it. I'm thinking to myself, awesome, this is so great. It wasn't Eric that taught her. It wasn't my husband. Okay. When she was telling me how it happened, I was hoping, hoping that we were talking about the word fart or something of that nature that a kindergartner would know. But she knew. And I explained, we are called to be examples that using a word like that is not only hurtful to others, but it is hurtful to God. Because if he is good, he wants us to be as good as well. So to keep us on track, we have the Holy Spirit to help us each day as we strive to be more and more like him. Now, understanding the Trinity is a little mind-boggling, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, You know, I'm not really sure what to do with that sometimes. It's not Casper, the friendly ghost, just floating around, okay? The Holy Spirit, it's that quiet inner voice that interacts with us when we engage with God. Maybe during prayer or studying or when with friends or when we need to be convicted. It may not be actual words spoken to us, but it's that little poke, that little nudge when you're like, ah. I get it. You've had that realization. The one thing that you can hold on to is that the Holy Spirit is like a wise parent that speaks to us in a way that encourages us, uplifts us, and directs us towards goodness. The Holy Spirit does not demean us, shame us, or make us weaker. We know whose voice that is, and he doesn't need an introduction today. When we choose to live fully in God, it's then we can access the one who walks alongside us to empower us, to live life out with us day to day. We can't do goodness on our own. When reality hits with unlovable people choosing to forgive and helping others, we can do that, though, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it awesome to know that the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave is the same power, sorry, (laughs) that resides in each one of us? Because of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can see a dramatic change. A desire to please God emerges, and if we go back to the story of that rich young ruler, 
He says this in response to Jesus. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. At this, then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus knew in that moment the desire of the man's heart. The young man thought his supposed righteousness would be good enough. If Jesus, in Jesus asking him to sell everyone, everything, he revealed the desire of the man's heart, of thinking, I got this. And I'm sure many of you have never had that thought, but I'm sure the person next to you has. Our desires can sometimes be put in the wrong place. And I'm pretty sure that man planned on walking away from that encounter with Jesus that day with a golden ticket straight into heaven. You see, when he, we see his goodness, that desire in us shifts, and it is because the love of Christ is coming through you. Not something we're earning points for. It's just that we want to reflect Christ. We're doing it because he empowers us to help mentor kids at Huff Elementary, to serve in Westridge Kids, to give to our friends in Tecaloste, or to give a warm hug to somebody who just really needs one. But I know some of you are probably asking the question, how can God be good in a world filled with so much pain? Well, I once heard a story about a Bible teacher who told his college class that his wife was being tested for cancer. A few weeks later, he thankfully shared that his wife did not show any signs, and several of the students in his class responded with, God is good. And the teacher uh, went on to challenge the class about their definition of good, and he stated, God is good. But if the doctor's report said my wife had stage four cancer and only a couple months to live, God is still good. God is always good. Whether he sends prosperity or pain, health or sickness. And why is that? It assures us that God's purpose for us is good. Just as a parent looks out for their child, our Heavenly Father wants only good for us. However, good things, it may not show up as happy experiences. We know that sometimes it can be disguised as adversity or hardship, and we really don't understand what's going on in the moment, but later, hopefully, we will. And as we learn in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. There's another way that we can allow God's goodness into our life. It's appreciating it. In a world where it's really hard to see that sometimes, he gives us glimmers each and every day. To remind us he is God, we see the proof of it everywhere, from the life-sustaining provisions he supplies all the way down to those little things, like the food we eat. I'm a part of a supper club here at Westridge with a group of women, and we get to uh, cook a meal once a month. And I love the way the flavors and the taste work together, but then we can just share that over conversation and laughter, and that is my favorite part. I mean, anything is pretty much better with sea salt and bacon. Am I right? Okay, except for you vegans, all right. Um, 
So, I mean, there's just so many ways. And maybe, like, it's the, the smell of the fresh air in springtime after a cold winter. It's just that rush of energy. You finally know spring is here. Or maybe, for me, it's the way our daughter's freckles dance across the bridge of her nose. Or for my son, his ears are just growing out sideways. And I just love it. I love it so much. He was getting a manicure that day. Um, <laughs> Very metrosexual, you know? So anyways, he, he just has those sweet ears, and I feel God created those ears just for me because he knew that I would find pleasure in it. In a culture of go, 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 we don't take those ordinary moments to see his goodness. And if we allow ourselves to see him, that can really change our perspective on the day. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, and what did he say at the end of each day? It is good. As our perspective changes, and hopefully yours does this week, you'll begin to see his signs everywhere, appreciating excellence and beauty. It'll just become another way we can exalt the character of God. You know, the sound of a lyric or a familiar melody um, can be the same, something that we find joy in, that we can see God's goodness in. I'm sure most of you have heard the song, Amazing Grace. The hymn was written in 1772 by a man named John Newton, and it has been performed 10 million times annually and has been recorded on 11,000 different recordings. Uh, It's been sung by Johnny Cash, Elvis, and Aretha Franklin, and it still rings through to these generations still today. You know, John Newton's story is one of redemption. Um, He grew up in England uh, in the 1700s to a seafaring family, and unfortunately he lost his mom at a a young age, so his dad, the only way he knew how to raise him was on a ship. And so he grew up and he started to go into the Navy. But he made his mark as a slave ship captain, uh, running slave ships back back and forth from the west coast of Africa to England. And he loved it. He thought it was a great job. He was a drunken, atheist slave trader. One day when he was running the slave ship back, he got into this horrible, horrible storm that caused a tremendous amount of damage to the ship's hull. And like any atheist would, he cried out to God. He said, God, help us. For some reason, the ship got tossed back and forth and a bunch of cargo got pushed to the side of the hull and just made a patch and they were able to get through that storm. From that moment, John Newton invited God to be a part of his life. And he completely changed his his life too. He became a preacher. He penned 280 more songs and he was an integral part in abolishing the slave trade in England. One of my favorite verses in Amazing Grace says this. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Even until death, Newton never ceased to be amazed by God's grace and glory to him. And he told his friends, my memory is nearly gone, but I know two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ, he's a great savior. Newton saw that he once was lost, but God's goodness restored him. 
He chose a relationship with God, and he was an active instrument in God's glory. So no matter what you have done, the baggage in your past, just put it to the side because God is going to accept you as you are and give you this opportunity to accept his goodness and all the other virtues Christ has for us. We all have the capacity for it. It's an ongoing life lesson. It's just choosing whether or not we want to use it. The journey is not always easy, but I cannot wait for the day for those of us that choose to accept Christ into our life and his grace and his goodness that we can one day walk into heaven and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant.